Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours. Thank you for being here as always. It's been a pretty busy week in terms of football because we've had the European Championships on all week and that's been kind of fun. But from an Arsenal perspective, still relatively quiet. However, it does seem like some wheels are beginning to turn in terms of certain transfers and targets that we're being linked with on a a fairly consistent basis. So we're going to get straight into the discussion today rather than me just waffle on at the start. And I promise you it's got absolutely nothing to do with the sun being out here in Dublin and me wanting to go and sit in the garden with a book and a cold drink. I promise. I mean, perish the thought that I would shirk my responsibilities as a podcaster to give you two or three minutes of idle waffle. But look, sometimes you just need to get the show started. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. And my guest today to talk about the European Championships and to go into a bit of detail on some of the transfer targets that we've been linked with, including Ben White, James Madison, uh, Albert Lokonga and more. Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. I should point out that we are recording this before the games on Thursday. So if something extraordinary happens today in the European Championships, it's not going to be part of this conversation. So uh, just to let people know, we're not ignoring it, whatever it is or might be or might not be, but just to put that caveat in place there. So what are you expecting from I thought, today? I thought you were going to... I thought you were going to ask me about all how how I enjoyed the thrilling Netherlands match tonight and yeah. then see how ridiculously wrong I get it in the morning and everybody could laugh when it goes out in the yeah. morning. What, what did you make of Ukraine, North Macedonia, by the way? Oh, I couldn't believe Moranchuk pulled that off. Didn't, didn't see that coming. Doesn't he play for Russia? Was that, was that not the, the name of the, the Ukrainian centre-forward? No, was that not the guy who scored yesterday for... Um for, uh, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Russia. that was that was obviously on my mind. His DA did score Russia's goal yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, I'm asking you to see into the future, which you know, as talented as you are. Well, I don't think he, I don't think he's suddenly going to play for a different team today than he did yesterday. So. <laughs> the transfer market is not quite that crazy this summer, that's for sure. <laughs> so, look, how have you uh, how have you been enjoying it so far as a, a feast of football and all that kind of stuff? I, you know, personally, I've been quite enjoying just watching football without. A, having to work or think about, you know, the result of the game too much or be too concerned about the results of the games. It's been it's been pretty fun, I think, for me, uh, even if I think some of the games haven't been quite as high quality as we'd we'd have liked. Yeah, but I think sometimes high quality football is less entertaining um, when you're sitting there as you are and as I am as well. Um, and I'm a, I'm a neutral, really. I, probably there are the, these games are happening, and I, 
some I like a player or I like the way mm. that one of the teams is playing so I sort of root for them as the game goes on but I'm I, I don't really have a horse in this race um so I've I've really been enjoying it yeah as I say I think sometimes the higher quality football you watch Manchester City Liverpool or something or and it, it can be a little bit stale mm. and cancelling each other out um yeah it's nice to have the soundtrack of fans to these games yes to, you know quite a few fans in some stadiums and some fans in in every stadium so that's definitely been enjoyable and yeah i think uh, it's been quite entertaining i don't think there's been many games so far maybe all three of the games today are going to be terrible uh, after i've said this but i don't think there's been any games so far that were really really poor even if the quality is a little bit lower i think they've been quite entertaining so mm. I am. I'm definitely enjoying it. Yeah. What about the the lack of Arsenal players? Has that been a a factor in, or has that sort of crossed your mind? Because sometimes you can look at a game and and you know again you might have no skin in the particular uh, teams that are are playing, but because there's some Arsenal interest in one side or the other, you want to see those players doing well. It it does feel a bit strange that well, Granit Xhaka we've seen Aaron Ramsey, of course, an ex Arsenal player, did really well for Wales. Kieran Tierney has. Hasn't played for uh, for Scotland and may not play against England on Friday night because of injury. And then Bakayo Saka, Bernd Leno, they're probably not going to get a great deal of game time during this tournament. So it is a bit weird, isn't it? Because we're used to or have been used to down the years of international tournaments being absolutely jam-packed with Arsenal players. Yeah, we all remember, I think, sort of sitting in front of the TV because you knew Vieira and Henri were going to be playing or, yeah. or Fabregas or Van Persie were going to be playing. And not just, I guess, not just Arsenal players, but Arsenal players that were really had the ability to be the star of the tournament as well and go on and win the whole thing and be a crucial player in, in that success. And we saw that with, with Vieira a couple of times. We saw it with Cesc Fabregas in, in 2008 and 2010. There's, that is a shame, definitely. Um, on the one hand, um, after the season we just had, I don't want to see any of them. I don't want to watch them again. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I was I was delighted. I really enjoyed Aaron Ramsey's performance and his goal um, for Wales against Turkey. I thought he was brilliant. And Vintage, wasn't it? You, yeah, it was. It really was, and you knew it was even the. The little bit of wastefulness um, brings back some memories, but you knew that if he kept going and that he does keep going, that he'd probably get another one and, and eventually put one away. Um, yeah, and obviously as an Arsenal fan, you sit there watching that game and you're delighted that Aaron Ramsey's the hero and Gareth Bale isn't when <laughs> when, when Wales win. Well, I mean, to be, fair, so, to be fair to Bale, he did produce two pretty, pretty uh, lovely assists. Yeah, for, he did. Know. He was brilliant and, <laughs> until he had to um, have an attempt from the penalty spot. And, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, there was a little bit of, even though I was rooting for Wales and rooting for Ramsey, there was a bit of enjoyment that Bale managed to sky his penalty and they still got the result at the same time. I think that was quite nice. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, best of both worlds. Um, I do definitely, I, I do definitely miss watching not as I say not only Arsenal players but really world class players that play for us go and do it for their countries and you can root for them I don't know if you've missed that or if you're happy to not be looking at Arsenal players for a, for a month it, it's it's a little from column A a little from column B you know I think um, we've said this before that the, the, the lack of Arsenal players at the tournament speaks 
to perhaps the state of the squad to a certain extent and the quality levels in the squad. And, you know, some of the players are young, you know, who next time the Euros come around will definitely be involved. But they're it does speak to the quality of the squad a bit and, and how we need to improve, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I would like to have a little bit more Arsenal interest, even if, like you and like everyone else, I'm sort of sick to the back teeth of them. If we had good players, A, we might not have finished eighth. And, you know, B, those players might be tearing it up a bit at the Euros right now. Like, I, I was, it was quite funny, I think. I was watching um, Italy, Switzerland on Wednesday night. And everyone was saying, oh, Xhaka's having a nightmare of a game, having a terrible game. And I was like, he's not really. He's just having a very Granite Xhaka game with lots of passes. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have the agility, the mobility to do what, let's say, Locatelli did. And that first goal, I think, is my favorite goal so far uh, in the tournament. He, yeah. he, he, he can do that. We know that. And, and by comparison, of course, he looks... He pales in comparison to that kind of midfield play. And and this is why, you know, for all the talk of we need to get X amount of money for Granite Jack, and I think we do have to try and maximize the value, I'm ready to sell him. I'm ready to move on. I'm I'm ready for a post Jacka Arsenal. And, you know, that's not putting all the problems we've had on him or anything like that. I'm just ready for that. I'm ready for something new, etc., etc. But I didn't think he was terrible. He was just his normal self. And that, as much as anything, kind of sums up why I think, as a club, we need to say, right, it's time for something a little bit different. Uh, it was quite funny. I was watching a stream um, with Martin Tyler and Alan Smith doing the commentary. And Martin okay. Tyler Martin Tyler said uh, to Alan Smith something along the lines of, well, Roma are interested, uh, you know, some talk about him going there. Well, what do you make of that situation, Alan? And there was a little bit of a pause, and he said, basically, really diplomatically, well, you know, I think there comes a time when it's it's good for both player <laughs> and club to go in a different direction or to make a change or something like that. And I was thinking, he was, you know, he was obviously making sure he didn't stick any knives in anywhere, but I think he was dead right. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it makes sense. And I agree with you as well. I think I don't think Xhaka was awful against Italy I think I think this is also a bit of a the product of a player playing for a team that's much weaker than the opposition mm. um, I, I thought that I thought that a couple of times during this tournament I've been here in Germany and I saw a lot of people really criticising Germany uh, after the game against France and I think there's no doubt that France were the better side but mm. I, it just felt to me a lot more about France being really good than Germany being really really bad or dreadful so yeah, and and that's what it is with these tournaments as well. I mean, players that we don't that we aren't used to seeing, and then you know people making quite snap judgments on teams or players. I think on one or two games only. So it's all to be taken, obviously, with a pinch of salt. But that's no fun. Um, <laughs> the, the, the other thing when you mentioned Locatelli there and the lack of Arsenal involvement, the, I did think when he was when he scored those two goals last night. It, if we're tired of Arsenal players, it would at least be nice if we'd have already signed somebody that is involved. I just remembered Thomas Rosicki scoring his couple of goals in the Czech Republic's opener in 2006 after oh, yeah. we'd signed him. Yeah. Um, but before, obviously, any of us had seen him play for Arsenal. And I think that's always quite nice during the tournaments, but it obviously doesn't happen that often that Arsenal have their business wrapped up nice and early in the No, summer. I mean, uh, particularly this 
this summer where, you know, there's a lot going on and everything else. And look, maybe, you know, when, when a player does what Rosicki did in those games in, in the World Cup, he sets the bar very high. The, the expectation level that he arrives with then is, is really high because of the goals well, that he scored. And the other side of that coin, let's hope that none of the players that we're going to sign do anything spectacular because it will push an extra 10, 15 million oh. on whatever the clubs are going to demand when we're going yeah. for them. I mean, we'll come to that. We'll come to some of those players. But I don't think too many of them are at the Euros anyway. So um, I think we're lucky enough in, in that regard. I mean, on Locatelli, I thought it was quite funny to see people going, oh my God, we're never going to be able to afford him now. And I was thinking, but like that's, you know, in terms of transfer rumours, while he fits a profile and while you you could say yes I could see Locatelli in red and white and I would very much like it it does, it never seemed like a realistic uh, option you know because we, we don't really sign Italian players when you look at our Italian player list down the years who have we got uh, Viviano who never played Arturo Lupoli Arturo Lupoli Vito Manone and that's it I think in terms of senior players of course there was a young yeah. defender called Nicolo Galli who mm-hmm who tragically lost his life uh, at a young age, and he was a very highly rated central defender. But in terms of, uh, A, Italian players coming to Arsenal, and B, Italian players in general uh, coming to the Premier League, particularly in their peak years, it really doesn't happen. I think it's very rare, really, isn't it, for Italian players to leave Italy at all? Yeah. And you've got, you know, the top players, you've got so many huge clubs in Italy and it feels like all of them end up at Juventus or, or Inter or Milan when, mm. when they're doing a little better than they've done the, the last few years. So I think Locatelli has been linked with a couple of those as well. Would, yeah, now that he's sort of broken into the the Italy lineup as well, this tournament with, with Verratti injured, I think it's sort of nailed on really I'd be very surprised mm. if he ended up not Juventus it just yeah. any any Italian does really well and like it would be a really weird if they don't just go and play for Juventus now yeah I think that's probably his most likely destination they're gonna have to pay a few quid extra for him and uh, he was at AC Milan and was let go to where is it Sassuolo Sassuolo yeah 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 under the watch of Ivan Gazidis Mr. Supreme Talent Spotter himself so well done <laughs> to you Ivan <laughs> has anyone else at the tournament caught your eye so far in terms of individuals or teams or you know things that have perhaps surprised you or not um, I really enjoyed and I was surprised um, and really I think everybody enjoyed that Netherlands-Ukraine match. Um, I just really enjoyed watching the opening game of the tournament you expect for the two teams and you expect it to be so cagey. Mm. Um, and it was just like both of them just like a revolving door. It's like a basketball game. No midfield, just, you know, the Netherlands attacking, then they'd lose the ball and Ukraine would run all the way up the pitch and there was no one trying to stop it at all. Mm. Um, I found that very, very entertaining in a very weird kind of way because I think you don't see many top-level games nowadays that look like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the Netherlands, I don't think they're fantastic, but I think they've got a few really, really nice players. Memphis Depay is obviously one of them Frankie de Jong he's probably he's going to join him at Barcelona mm. this summer apparently um, 
Frankie de Jong, I could it's just a midfielder that I could just watch all day the way yeah, he's the way that he player. plays. There's just an elegance and a calmness about everything he does, which I think is fantastic. And um, I've never seen uh, as as an Englishman who doesn't really care too much about the national team. I, I was really taken aback. I've never seen England that open in 20 minutes against Croatia play with any kind of intensity like that. Certainly not at a tournament. So. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that, that was quite interesting. And, you know, Gareth Southgate obviously got a lot of criticism for his team selection, but I think that just goes to show how many English players, top English players there are nowadays. It's quite ridiculous. Yeah, I suppose. And also, you know, the the outrage at team selection is not simply a, an Arsenal phenomenon. I think it is. <laughs> it's a thing now. Like, I could understand why people are going, well, you know, you've got left backs. Why are you playing Trippier there, etc., etc.? But... Ultimately, you know, those decisions hinge on whether or not you you win a game. Like, think about the North London derby when Aubameyang was dropped. It was yeah, exactly. more of an afterthought because we won the game. Had we not won the game, that decision is much more open to question. Had England not beaten Croatia, you know, that decision would have been much more open to question, even if it wouldn't necessarily have been that particular thing that was, you know, the downfall. So, yeah, it's uh, so far so good in terms of the tournament then. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it, and as I say, not having a horse in the race. I think that sometimes you sort of do wish that it really meant something, but for the most mm. part, it's nice to just sit down and watch a few games of football. And <laughs> if something happens, yeah. my day's not really ruined. Yes. Um, what was no matter what happens? What was the reaction like in Germany to Germany's defeat to France? I mean, look, France, I, I think, are the favourites. They've got so much talent in their team. Mbappe's pace is frightening to watch. Um, you know the way he ran away from Mats Hummels that time was was just uh, was ridiculous. Um, so I mean, you know, to to lose to France is not necessarily uh, anything to be ashamed of. But were there concerns about the, I suppose, the lack of precision in the final third is what I'm going to say not you know yeah. they're plenty of possession but it was what they did with that possession it reminded me a bit of Arsenal which is not good from a German <laughs> point of view you know you get into the final third and then hmm, hopeful cross and see what happens it was a bit too Arsenal yeah it's funny what tournaments do to to people I think is Germany obviously had a horrible 2018 World Cup and they've had mm. a horrible three years really since then. The, the most recent international break, they lost to North Macedonia in World Cup qualifying. They, you know, I think have won that Nations League. Now there's been eight Nations League games and I think they won one. Mm. They've played France, the Netherlands, Spain and Ukraine each twice in the two editions of that. And they've only won one of those eight matches. So they're... There wasn't coming into the tournament much hope mm. that Germany and it, it's it's weird to go into a tournament like that. I think to not think that Germany are one of the favourites. Yeah, um, and then it feels like over the last week or two that hope has slowly built up. Uh, um, it's the hope that kills you, you know. It is. It is. Um, yeah, and then I personally, I thought I, I watched the game at a public viewing. I, I don't know how many people there. Lots of very excited Germans. A few very, very excited French people who made sure that everybody knew who they were supporting, which was lovely to see. Um, <laughs> that 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 mix and you know up singing Le Marseilles at the at the full time whistle and stuff like that was great. Yeah. Um, so it was like a really nice atmosphere. It's the first time I've been in an atmosphere with football fans for a year and a half. 
half, so it was great. Um, yeah, I think Germany, like you say, there, there was a big disappointment about not creating chances. I think there's not been enough recognition that it was France that they were playing against and they're the world champions and they've got all of these, you know, Benzema and Mbappe and mm. Pogba played brilliantly and pretty much a world-class player in every single position. And Germany are a team kind of trying to find their way still. Muller and Hummels have been called back in after two years of forced exile from the national team. And yeah, I think France deserved to win, but I don't think Germany were horrible and I think there's a be honest, there's been a bit of an overreaction to the, the you know losing one 0 to the world champions in the first group game. It's right. far from disastrous. True, true. Well, look, loads more football to uh, to come over the coming days and the weekend, but we better move this discussion on to Arsenal. And look, nothing concrete has happened yet, but there are um, things beginning to churn away in the background and names that are coming up and links with certain players that appear to be more and more concrete as the days pass. So I thought we'd go through some of these and just get your your thoughts on, on the players that we've been linked with. I think the one we should start with is the most interesting one because it sparks all kinds of discussions is Ben White, um, the Brighton defender. I mean, central defence, I think, is an area we need to improve and most people kind of had an idea of how we might do it and that included, you know, the £28 million signing we made a couple of years ago. And it doesn't look at this point as if that's, that's going to be the case. It might be, though. I mean, this is the thing. We're, we're still so early in the summer, it's hard to know. But there's a lot of talk about what might happen with Saliba and what the arrival of Ben White might mean for that. But I think in terms of this discussion, what do you, what do you make of targeting somebody like Ben White to come in, um, you know, at a pretty substantial price. It's not the world record stuff, but it would be close to our club transfer record, and certainly the highest we uh, highest fee we we'll have ever paid for a, a defender. If it goes through, he'll usurp the record from a Mister S. Mustafi. So there's something for him to be proud of. But um, you know, Ben White, what do you make of him as a player, and what do you make of Arsenal's interest in him? It's a low bar if he just has to be better than the Mustafi. Well, he's just more expensive. Just more expensive. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be better. (laughs) So you don't even think he'd be better? (laughs) No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Don't (laughs) quote me on that. All the Arsenal (laughs) aggregators, AFC stuff, do not put Arse plug. It says Ben White is worse than Mustafi. That's not what I'm saying. I promise. That's what it it sounded like to me. No, 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 no. I promise. uh, I, th- I think he's really good. Firstly, just to get that out of the way, I think because I think there'll be other discussions about Ben White that aren't about Ben White, the footballer. Um, so I do think he's a good player. I think he's a good defender. I think he's very good with the ball. And something that we've talked about losing David Luiz, and it says everything that we mm. missed David Luiz when he wasn't available last season. Um, to have defenders who are good on the ball is very important nowadays. It, mm. it just is. All 11 players, including the goalkeeper, they all have to be very good at moving the ball forward. Otherwise it becomes, and we've seen it with some of our players, we saw it, I think especially with Socrates, um, Mm. It becomes so easy for the other team to kind of mark players and just guide the ball towards the the weak link in possession, mm. um, who, who then sort of doesn't really know what to do because they can't you know play a pass and find somebody mm. thirty yards upfield. So I think it's very important that we have players who can play out from the back and 
I think it will help us offensively. I th- what I struggle with with this one is the just the cost. Mm. It's obviously we don't know how much we'll spend this summer, but it, it's an enormous amount of money to me, and we don't need. And as I say, I do think he can help us offensively as well. Um, but we don't need to get better in defence, really. We we had the third best record for mm. goals conceded last season, and we only scored the ninth most goals in the Premier League. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious to me um, which end of the pitch is, is more urgent. And then it's simple numbers as well, as you said. There There is Saliba, there's Holding, there's Gabriel and Marie. Um, they're even on the books still. Mavropanos and Callum Chambers can mm. play centre-back too. You know, if you play a back three, Kieran Tierney's played centre-back. And, and if he plays at the tournament this summer, that's where he'll play for Scotland. So centre-back isn't screaming out um, as the position where we need maybe quality, but not numbers. Yeah. And it's an enormous amount of money when we do need numbers in other areas of the pitch. So sure. A centre-back this summer you could take or leave as a, as a concept, but you have to sign at least one midfielder and you have to sign at least one attacking midfielder and probably a right back or a left back, at least one of them. And so, it, yeah, and a goalkeeper too. <laughs> there's, a, there's a hell of a lot to yeah. do. Um, yeah, I think Ben White as well. I would just say that from, you know, I think Brighton were quite entertaining to watch last season. He's very comfortable on the ball and that's great to know that already that a player would come in and, and, and have that in his locker but also played very occasionally played right back for Brighton last season and did play in midfield six or seven times as well so yeah. maybe that's something to take into account if you know if you, you sign him and he, he's a centre back but you mm. know that if you need him in midfield you can you put Rob Holding or whatever back in the team and push White a bit further forward to, to cover for Thomas Party if he's injured or for some or something like that. So maybe we should take that into account as well that he yeah. can play in a couple of other positions. Yeah, I do think it's interesting, you know, when you say we don't need uh to improve the defence. I mean I think we can both improve the defence and improve our Creativity. I don't think we should just say we've got to do one thing, and if an opportunity, or if they see somebody who who they feel can can improve our our defence, then then go for it. What I would say is that, like, if it was a case that we had seventy million pounds to spend this summer, and that's just an arbitrary number, and we were spending fifty million pounds on Ben White, you could very very obviously say, well, that doesn't leave us with much room to do everything else that we're going to do. But when you look at some of the names that we're being linked with in that attacking midfield role, like uh, we we can write off Martin Odegaard probably because of what's going on at Real Madrid. But, you know, he would have been an expensive player if we were able to sign him if Real Madrid were willing to do a deal. There's another name we're going to talk about now, um, Matt, James Madison. You know, £60 million being touted for him. It, it doesn't feel like the pursuit of Ben White is coming at the expense of of other business. Now, of course, it'll all come out in the wash and we'll wait and see what we spend, but it it doesn't seem like all of our financial eggs are are going into one basket. I think it's a really interesting one in the sense that he is 23. £50 million seems like a lot, but if he's at the club for whatever it might be, six, seven years, something like that, then that transfer fee, you know, starts to look good value, you know? Um, I've done a little bit of why scouting on him? He's very comfortable on the ball. He carries the ball well. He's good with both feet. His range of passing 
long passing appears to be really good. So, you know, if we are looking for somebody who is capable of um, being a distributor from deep in the way that David Louise was, in the way that people said, this is the kind of player we need, then I, I'm okay with this. And I think maybe some of the some of the concern or some of the objection to doing a deal for Ben White is because we are, as a, a fan base, and have been invested in the idea of William Saliba since we paid yeah, all that exactly. money for him. You know, and... and uh, I, I get it. I, I'm, I'm sort of looking at it thinking, wow, you know, when you spend £28 million on an 18-year-old, it is exciting because it says something to you about the, the quality or, if not the quality, the potential of that player. And, it, you know, right now we're in kind of limbo. We don't know what's going to happen with him. It doesn't, it doesn't appear to be a particularly promising sign that we're going to bring in someone like Ben White. But I wonder if you were to take away, you know, the, the Saliba side of this. Imagine if we didn't have him and we were looking at next season with all due respect to him going into the season with Rob Holding as our number one right-sided centre-back. Do you think people would look at it a little bit differently? Definitely. Definitely. I think I would look at it differently too. Mm. Um, I, I definitely have a... I wouldn't say a, much of an investment in Saliba. It's what Saliba means for the rest of the club, I think, in a, in yeah. a broader way. It, is this a club that's going to identify and give chances to young players? Are we a club that... And, you know, the people who did that deal are, are gone now anyway. So yeah, well, that might be the, part of why... Yeah. It's not um, happening, you know? No, well, that's that's my uh, only theory, is that there has to no, be something no. about the deal, which as a club, we... If, like, if, and I know it's still a big if, if we're willing to sell Saliba this summer, it can only be, in my opinion, it can only be because there is something about the deal that we want to distance ourselves from. Like, I don't believe it is the quality of the player... I can't believe it's simply a case that Mikel Arteta just doesn't like his face. I don't, you know, I know there's been some <laughs> issues with other players, but I think those were behavioural problems. You know, Saliba hasn't been around long enough for there to be that kind of uh, issue, you know? So it can only be because there is something in the deal that doesn't add up and we want to move away from, wipe the slate clean, if you like. Yeah, but I think I, th I think it's understandable this is, I, and I definitely feel that myself, this sort of feeling that we have a really good young centre-back mm, there, yeah. probably, and a player that we spent a lot of money on, and and the, that we're going to move on from that without him ever playing for us. Um, seems insane. It feels insane. So I, I think, I definitely think that that would change this completely if, mm. if Rob Holding was the first choice centre-back and... And that was that. Um, I don't think anybody really would have a problem with Ben White coming in. To me, it, it's sort of, ah, uh, but maybe we've already got the solution. So, mm. and you, maybe we haven't, but you'd like to see it at least tried. And then you think, so are we spending, you know, apparently a £40 million bid and, and that was turned down, so 45 50 million. Mm. Are we spending that on something that we already have? Um, and I think that's the big question, and that's why Saliba completely changes the context of how we probably sure. talk about Ben White. Yeah, well, look, it, it does look as if the club's pursuit of him is <laughs> And it's is not his serious. fault either. No, no, no. If, if he comes in, then I'm sure people will 
we'll sort of you know be happy to to see him and support him and and see how he gets on and not sort of be against him just because he isn't William Saliba. Yeah, I would hope so. I would hope so. I mean, look, he's a young English player who could be at the club for many years if he goes well. So, uh, yeah, look. We'll get, um, we'll get Mikel Arteta after his debut in a press conference saying, I'm sorry, Ben White didn't cost £3 million <laughs> as a little homage to Arsene Wenger. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see it. Um, James, <laughs> James Madison, um, given that the Odegaard situation looks like it's nixed because of Real Madrid's desire to keep him. Um, and also, of course, uh, Emi Buendia going somewhere else altogether. Uh, I mean, this is another interesting one for me because there's part of me that goes, for what it would take to buy James Madison, we could probably buy a similar-ish player from the continent who would then arrive and leave us with enough money perhaps to buy that right back and also that goalkeeper. And then there's another part of me that goes, well, who kind of, who cares if they're going to invest in the team (laughs) and we want them to invest in the team and they invest in the team, do we not get a little bit like, like I I understand and I see the the perspective uh, and it's something I'm concerned a little bit about in the sense that you know, I don't think Cronkies are gifting us money to go and spend. I think what we spend this summer has to be offset with a, with departures as much as possible. I think what we spend this summer will come in the form of, of debt that we have to service. Um, so, you know, the idea that you could just go big without it having some kind of fiscal consequences is ridiculous. At the same time, though, here's a 24-year-old who has done it at Premier League level who, you know, has got his best years ahead of him and could easily add plenty to a team which does not create enough chances. Uh, There was a stat doing the rounds. Do I have it here? Uh, I think I opened it up somewhere. Uh, It comes from uh, Harvey Downs, who works for Opta, and he says, uh, James Madison has created 230 chances in the Premier League since making his debut in 2018-19. 148 more than any player for Arsenal. That player happens to be Mesut Ozil with 82, while only Kevin De Bruyne has created more in the division during this period. So, like, are we... Are we just kind of trying to find things to not like about any deal we do? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think there, there's maybe an element of that. Um, yeah, but I, but I do think you've got a point as well when you mm. say, well, could we not go and sign somebody similar from, you know, maybe for less money? Or I would even maybe then take the discussion in another direction and say, couldn't we sign somebody similar, but maybe even a step above for a little bit more money? Mm. Um, you know, how much is, I'd, I think personally, he's probably a better, he's a better player and, and would fit in with us, with our needs more. How much more will Jack Grealish cost this summer uh, compared to James Madison? Mm. Is a question that I find myself asking. Although obviously we know that the club didn't strongly or maybe not quite as strongly as we thought originally, pursue Emi Bendia. Well, for the thirty million is mad extra. Is Madison going to give you that much extra compared to what Bendia might give you? So yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I, I think it's a really it is a really valid conversation to have and a, and a valid point to make. Obviously, yeah, the, at the same time, he has done well um, for less the last few seasons. He added a few more goals last season to his game, and mm. I remember that everyone talked about that interview where he talked about wanting to get in the box more and and working on that maybe shoots a little bit too often for my liking you know 25 30 yards out and it's maybe not the best choice but it'll have a go but if there's something Arsenal lack it's probably something like that and Martin Odegaard did a little bit of that when he came into the side and it was a little bit refreshing as long as it wasn't Thomas Partey shooting from god knows where (laughs) so I do I, I see why the links would be there I think mm. playing under Brendan Rodgers as well we, we do always assume that Mikel Arteta doesn't have the players that he wants to have to play the football that he wants to play and he's pretty much said that himself Madison's played as a, a number 10 behind a striker at Leicester he's also played deeper in a, a midfield three as a sort of attacking midfielder so uh, you know and I think it frees up we probably in those sort of forward positions the left is maybe where there's someone missing as well but signing a Madison maybe frees up Smith Rowe to play from the left week mm. in week out instead of just occasionally so I don't think that's a huge issue it is interesting it the link doesn't seem to be going away um if you'd have told me a couple of weeks ago that Arsenal would go and spend £70 million or so on one player um, this summer with no European football, yeah. is it five years now without the Champions League, um, my jaw would have hit the ground, I think. Uh, no financial fair play rules have been relaxed a little bit. It would still really surprise me, I think, if we went and spent that much or maybe not that much but however much it would take to get Madison out of Leicester with three years left on his contract yeah I see no reason for Leicester to want to do business with us they had interest in Harry Maguire a couple of years ago from Man United and made him the most expensive centre-back in the world they're not going to do us any favours it's going to take an enormous bid probably more than we spent on Pepe to get Madison out of Leicester and that would just, yeah, it would really surprise me, as I say, to see us go and, and spend that much on on one player this summer. And a player that, as good as I do think James Madison is, isn't in the England squad. He's yeah. got a 26-man squad for the Euros and he didn't make the 26-man squad because, you know, and Mason Mount and Jaden Sancho and Jack Grealish are all excellent players as well. But that's the sort of, you know, if we were spending 78 million having spent that much on Pepe and mm. not quite got the return that we wanted, I would hope that we were spending that amount of money on a player that walks in and is the best player at the club immediately. Yeah, I'm not sure that would necessarily be the case with Madison, but at the same time, I think he 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 would bring qualities to that that part of our game which are missing the creative qualities the chance creation um you know i don't know how much of our issue was down to um i know we didn't take many shots or enough shots but was you know how much was that down to not creating the chances etc cetera, etc cetera. so you could see how he could make a difference and again if this is a an investment in a kind of long term solution um to to some of our problems the the money you spend now 
obviously looks a lot, but if he's a guy who's going to be here for a number of years around whom you're going to build whatever kind of core of the team for the next number of years, then, you know, maybe that, maybe this is part of what appears to be something like a joined-up strategy. You know, when I look yeah, at the players that, that, that we're linked with, for example, Ben White is 23, Ruben Neves has gone very quiet with him, but he was 24, Madison is 24, uh, Lokonga is 21, I think. Um, there's a goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale, you know, who's only 23. So there is, if we're trying to find some kind of a pattern as to the targets that we're being linked with, these are guys who aren't necessarily fledgling in terms of their careers, but are about to sort of hit their prime years. If you know what I mean, their mid twenty, mid yeah. to late 20s, where they're going to be in their prime, they're going to be at their best. Is that not exactly what we as fans have been saying as a club we need to do if we're going to rebuild, if we're genuinely going to rebuild and and create a new kind of team? Is this not how you should do it? I think that's a really fair point. Um, we look, and I th- I'm sure it's something that we've talked about before, that if, you know, last summer or, or during the season, if you look at the Arsenal squad, how many of those players do you look at and think, yeah, in four years he'll still he'll still be at Arsenal or yeah. he'll still be playing regularly for Arsenal. And both Ben White and James Madison would be. Um, as you said about Ben White as well, that fee doesn't look so much once he's played six or seven years for the club and you break it down. You know, we've spent how much on, on Thomas Partey and, and mm. we talked about his age so much. People talked about his age so much last summer and it's, what, 50-odd million? And then mm. you're you've got a player in the team maybe for four years until he's at an age where he can't play 30 games a season anymore. And that 50 million over, over four years is over, over 10 million a year. You look at 12, 13 million a year. Obviously if you spend 50 million on Ben White and then he's in the team for eight years, Mm. it's a lot less. So I do think that that's, as I say, a really good point. I think it's definitely worth taking into consideration um, I remember sort of the big example of this I remember was when Man City bought Raheem Sterling and it was, I think it was about 50 million at the time. Mm. And people were sort of like, oh, but he's hardly done anything. And it's, well, yeah, but he's, what, 21 years old? So he's going to be a Man City player for 10 years and you've paid 5 million for each year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, a, it's an amazing deal when you look at it like that. Um, we do definitely have to get younger and we do have to build a team and as I say, I'm sure it's something we've touched on before. We have to build a team where you can look at that team and say, like, in three years, how much of this 11 will be the Arsenal 11? And last season, especially the start of last season, when Saka wasn't in the team all the time, Smith Rowe wasn't in the team, you looked at the Arsenal 11 and you had sort of Kieran Tierney. And that mm. was basically it, that you would look, maybe Burnt Leno, maybe Thomas Partey, you would be sort of by then the oldest player on the pitch. That's how limited it was, and now we are talking about obviously, you know, Gabriel. And if you had a, a sort of a back, a back, back four, and three of them are Gabriel, Tierney, and Ben White, and you've got Madison and Smith Rowe and Saka, then that's more than half your team is um, built for the next four or five seasons. Martinelli obviously would be, yeah, yeah Martinelli, and, and maybe Balogun if he really can come and prove himself this season as well. Yeah, 
then obviously, yeah, that makes a massive, massive difference. And suddenly you're looking at Arsenal, not as a team that every summer, it feels like the last three or four summers, it's been, oh, it's a big summer for Arsenal. It's the biggest in the yeah, club's yeah, history. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. a rebuild. We and need, it yeah. would be... It would be really nice to go into um, go into next summer and you know go back to the old. Oh well, we just need two players. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, we never get them, but we, we only need two of them. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's the thing. You know, if you're going to rebuild, then all you want to do is like some you know some mild landscaping after that. You know what I mean? Rebuild your house, <laughs> yeah. and then you know it's not like every year you've got to put an extension on the back of it. You know. Uh, you just want to be doing incremental things for as long as possible. I suppose the counterpoint to what I just said there is that, you know, with that kind of strategy in mind of buying players in around 22, 23, 24, et cetera, et cetera, you know, one of the things people might say is that, well, if you're going to do that, are you better off in some ways of looking for players who who aren't quite as established as James Madison? So you're not spending I 70 million pounds on the, the, the 24-year-old. You're spending 20 million pounds on the 24-year-old. He doesn't come from the Premier League. He's coming from France or he's coming from Germany or he's coming from somewhere, you know, I'm always sort of slightly uh, staggered and, and jealous at the way German clubs can successfully unearth the kind of players that we all want to buy within like 18 months of them appearing for a German club. You know what I mean? Um, you know, yeah, that, yeah. That, that kind of thing where you say, okay, do that, make that your strategy. But also if you are a club that is financially challenged, make it as cost effective as possible. It's that there's the fine line though, isn't yeah. there? You know, you, you know, we sign Pepe, and then it, it does maybe take a year to acclimatise, and you've overpaid for what you've actually got in the end. Yeah, there's obviously a massive skill to finding those players. That's why the the one that excites me the most that we've not talked about is the the links to Lokonga. Yeah, well, he's next um, on the list, so let's go for it. Yeah, um, but I, I think you're trying to find this balance between building a team that can be your team in three years, but without sacrificing points now. Mm. And that's, it was a big thing, you know, when so many of the kids were playing and the kids, but you know, they're what early, early twenties or teenagers, Martinelli, Saka, Smithrow, all around 19, 20, 21. Mm. And it was this feeling that they will, have bad games and they might cost you points even if we didn't feel like that as fans Mikel Arteta clearly felt like that and generally speaking and I don't think those three players really count towards that but do generally speaking if you're playing players that age you are maybe sacrificing a mistake here or there for for what the development is and what you get out of it in two or three years when because they've played regular football the thing is if you're signing a, a 23-year-old centre-back in Ben White and a 24-year-old midfielder in James Madison, I guess you'd say, you know, both Premier League proven players as well, if you if you want mm. that. You're signing guys that will be better in two years, but can also already deliver and have already gone through that education process yeah. and they're ready to come in and play every single week. What do you make of the links to Lokonga? I mean... Everyone has got their eyes on Bissouma. Um, you know, 
if we are going to overpay, overpay is the wrong word. If we are going to pay a premium for someone like Madison, does that then give you scope to, I won't say take a gamble on someone like Lokonga, but a younger player who, again, you're buying for what he he will become and what he's going to develop into and and everything else. Um, you can sort of take that risk a little bit with a with a midfield player. I mean, do you feel like Thomas Partey? I mean, is he ready to sort of be the leader in midfield to to sort of take this young twenty one year old under his wing, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Or you know, would Lokonga be one piece of the midfield puzzle? Yeah, I think especially if Granit Xhaka's sold, didn't yeah. I'd be surprised if we went and signed Lokonga and then he and then he's expected to play thirty five times next season. Mm. Um, but I think it's exactly the sort of deal that we need to be pursuing. I mean, you talk about you know we see players playing in Germany and they they get one year in a German club and it suddenly is worth twenty or thirty million and we all want to sign whoever it is. It happens so so often and that's the key. For me, where Arsenal, you know, all, all well and good if we can spend on Ben White, we can spend on James Madison. Everybody knows both of them. Ben White's been linked with, he was linked with Liverpool last summer already. He's, mm. he's, it's not a surprise to anyone. You know, he's in the England squad. Madison, we've all seen for, for two or three years at Leicester now. The players that people haven't seen, the players that, you know, Lukonga, I think 20 million euros is the, the quoted price that Anderlecht want from, from what I've read anyway. Yeah. I, I think it's just the sort of, you look at this, the Guendouzi deal. Guendouzi's come in pretty cheap a couple of years ago. He's had a couple of miserable years, really, mm. um, after playing a lot in the first season. He's had two miserable years and got one year left on his contract now with the with an option, according to, according to James an option for Arsenal to trigger for another year mm. but we're not going to lose money on him and these are the players yeah you bring in Willian and obviously it didn't cost a fee but you do lose money and we brought in Socrates at, at that age and you know, tw- sort of about 30 years old and we did lose money because no one takes the 32, 33 year old off your hands um, if we signed Lekonga and he doesn't develop into what we want, then you probably still get 15 or 20 or 25 million for Mm. him because in two years, in three years, he's still only a 23-year-old midfielder who maybe just had a bad year and hasn't had the chance at Arsenal that he wanted and, you know, things haven't quite worked out. Mm. In terms of character and leadership and being under Thomas Partey's wing, he just captained Anderlecht for the the whole second half of last season. So there you go. I think, you know, from that, you you see at that age that that's a character that maybe like a Kieran Tierney uh, doesn't need to be, you know, yeah. uh, the best way to put it, but molly coddled and, sure. and eased in and you don't need someone there taking care of him and holding his hand. To be 21 years old, captain in any football club, definitely a... You know, the, one of the biggest clubs in any country in, in Europe where the expectation and, and people say it's just the Belgium league but you play for Anderlecht the expectation is to win every single week so that's enough pressure as it is to have that on his shoulders as captain for half a season at that age and he looks from the from the bits I've seen and you know you there are always people on Twitter nowadays I guess that, that's me with the Bundesliga but there are people that watch everyone and Lukonga seems to be very highly rated in Belgium and by anybody who's seen much of him. Mm. And this is 
the the exact sort of signing I want to see Arsenal make, and it's the exact sort of signing that when a, a Dortmund or a Leverkusen or whatever would sign Lukonga, then people sort of go, oh wait a second, a year later, why did why yeah, oh, yeah. oh, we'd really love to sign him, and then he costs fifty million. But that's exactly so, what I was talking about earlier on. Yeah, it's exactly. Like... I mean, we've been linked this summer with um, Edmund Tapsoba at Leverkusen, mm. who's been there for he, he moved from a mid-table Portuguese club and has been there for eighteen months, and now they're talking about. You know, if we want to sign him, there's no release clause. It costs fifty million. This is the the big step for me where Arsenal can make progress is signing those players before that move. They make that move not to you know not to a, a Man City, not to a Real Madrid. There are hundreds of players out there, and they make that move up a step to sort of prove they can play at the top level, but not for one of the top clubs. And then that's when we have to sign them, when they're making that move yeah. and not... Because by the time that, you know, they're playing for Leverkusen every week or, or Wolfsburg or whoever, well, Man City and Liverpool have seen them and they're interested in them. And our standards right now are a bit lower than theirs. They need players that can come in and play in the Champions League. And we don't. We can afford mm. to have that little bit of education and ultimately, what we're going to, what's the worst case scenario? I think, like you see with Guendouzi, the worst case scenario is we get our money back. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, if we're talking about how a deal for, for him might be financed, it, it isn't, uh, it doesn't work exactly like this. But if you get close to 20 million euros for Granit Xhaka and you spend close to 20 million euros on this guy, it's a sort of net negative or a net neutral cost to replace one guy with one guy in midfield, you know. And you've, yeah, and you've swapped a guy almost entering his 30s with, yeah. for a guy who just entered his 20s. Yeah, exactly. And, I, you know, I, I don't think you can do an entire summer of transfer business quite like that. You know, I do think there, I agree with you completely that these are the kind of players that we should be uh, profiling and bringing in more um, because of the, like you say, they're low risk generally because, um, you know, they're going to maintain uh, some level of value even if things don't go particularly well. But I don't think you can do like an entire summer of transfer business like this. I think it's difficult to, to do it like that. And you do need perhaps some some established talent. So that's that's an interesting one. And from what various people are saying, it seems to be perhaps the closest one to being completed at this moment in time. Um, quite how close it is, I, I can't say. And as ever with transfers, stuff that can be uh, close one day can be very different the next. But maybe we keep fingers crossed on that one and, and see what he can bring in. Um, um, yeah, I didn't know that about him being the captain of Anderlecht for the second half of the season as well. So that's that that suggests a, a level of personality that could be very useful uh, in our team. Particularly, yeah, you know, yeah, at on. least wouldn't be overawed by the challenge of, of coming to a bigger league and a bigger club. No, I think he's probably at a point in his career where that's what he wants. So, you know, he's he's ready for that step. Um, final one we'll talk about is a, is a bit of a strange one, I think. We know that Arsenal need a, a goalkeeper this summer. Um, and we know that perhaps one of the one of the things they need to do is find because of the various restrictions is a homegrown goalkeeper or a goalkeeper that won't take up one of the um, non-homegrown spaces. A curious name, I suppose, is Aaron Ramsdale. Um, he didn't really have a great time at Sheffield United last season, but nobody at Sheffield United had a great time. I think he ended up their player of the season, which is, I don't know, maybe says a lot about how busy he was. Um, 
He's in the England squad. He was called up to replace uh, Thingy. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Dean Henderson. Dean Henderson. That's his name. Um, Sounds like an EastEnders actor rather than a goalkeeper, but there you go. Um, Anyway, he's in the England squad. Uh, What do you make of this one? Because this is one where I do think I probably can't talk myself into the price because the prices being quoted for him are, are substantial and I'm not sure the quality of the player or the potential of the player really adds up to spending that amount of money for what you assume is going to be a backup goalkeeper to burn Leno next season. Uh, I know we maintain interest in Andre Onana, but he's not going to be able to play until November anyway. So it is a is it's an expensive one, isn't it, for a player who's been less than convincing for some time? I really don't understand this. I, I thought he was poor at Bournemouth, and I was really surprised when Sheffield United decided to spend a lot of money on him last summer. And I thought that them spending a lot of money on him was partly tied in with some some nostalgia and some. Yeah, a little bit of you know, mm. a home crowd kind of thing. He's, he he grew up there and was in the academy, and they let him go. And I think that that was all tied up in them signing him. Um, as I say, I was really surprised. And then I don't think he was very good for Sheffield United either. Uh, player of the season, but goalkeepers in relegated teams. I mean, mm. how many do you see where people think they've had a good season and they've just been really really busy? Um, I've never been particularly impressed with him. I'm also not... If we're going to sign... I mean, who knows? Maybe we won't sign. But we're targeting Ben White and we're linked with James Madison and we've got Smithrow and Saka and Chambers and Rob Holding. And I know we've been talking a lot about the homegrown players, but that's a lot of homegrown players. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think Martinelli in a year or two will qualify as one as well. Uh, Balogun's obviously signed his new contract. It's not... And, you know, we're not even in Europe this season, so the homegrown thing and having a bigger squad and that means you need more homegrown players to fill it up. It's not desperately urgent. So needing a, a second choice, I think it's very useful if your second choice goalkeeper is is homegrown. But I don't think it's a necessity. And to spend, if they were to spend 20 million on a goalkeeper who's mm. not ever going to be the first choice goalkeeper, I would really have to question that yeah. decision making. Yeah. I mean, I get why we need a number two goalkeeper, because what we have at yeah, the moment, definitely. you know, isn't sufficient. And I know the goalkeeping situation and uh, everything else at Arsenal is a bit weird in the sense that, you know, we don't... It doesn't look like Bernd Leno is, gonna, is going to sign a new deal. So... That, coupled with the interest in Onana, who can't really play until November and who's been basically out for a year, even when he is eligible to play again, is going to need some time to to sort of train and get himself back up to speed, etc., etc. I don't know. Yeah, I can't can't quite figure it out myself. Like, if we're going to go from Leno to Onana for next season, get Onana on a free... Great, you know, you can see how that's a, a deal we need to do, but but surely there could be a a short term 
loan solution, an experienced backup goalkeeper we could bring in to understudy Leno, even if we do do a deal for for um, Onana now, like, you know and, what I mean? And if we're spending 20 million on a goalkeeper, we can't find a better goalkeeper? Like, if that's the budget for yeah. a goalkeeper, there's not a better one out there than that? Mm. That, that would, like I say, yeah, that would really surprise me. I understand the the desire to have a homegrown uh, backup keeper. I don't think it's quite the necessity um, that that it's being made out to be. Mm. Liverpool don't have one. Chelsea don't have one. Man City have two non-homegrown goalkeepers and then a third choice who's homegrown. I think it's a nice bonus to have in your backup goalkeeper. I don't think you have to do it and to then pay the premium and spend mm. 20 million. That would, yeah, as I say, it would confuse me and I'd really have questions about that. Um, yeah, Leno, whether or not Leno is, is there with a new contract, I think I'd be surprised if Leno's not there this season. Um, and then, obviously, as you say, there are the links to Onana. And then there are other goalkeepers out there. There's always goalkeepers out there. Matt Ryan is, is I think, a pretty good goalkeeper who I wouldn't cost very much, I imagine, with one year left on his Brighton contract. Uh, Dortmund have signed a new goalkeeper and they're selling their old first-choice goalkeeper this, this summer. Roman Burke is mm. you know, not a, not a goalkeeper that's going to come in and be Arsenal number one for for two or three or four or five or six years but I would say not no worse really than Burnt Leno when available for he's been linked with to, with Monaco for three million euros I, yeah. I think there are, there are always teams that are signing goalkeepers and when when they're doing that they need to get rid of the first choice it's not even a not a position you can rotate or the backup is ever used very often so there's always someone selling a goalkeeper for not very much to go and spend 20 million on the guy who is going to be second choice would really yeah be strange I think would be it would be a, a weird allocation of resources you know beyond the weirdness that we're already seeing when it comes to 50 million pounds well, we're going to spend 250 million so it's nothing uh, maybe they've got some idea that there's you know there's a big <laughs> amount of money coming in for somebody else I don't know that's just me speculating. Where is it? Where's the money coming from? I mean, how much are you going to sell? Aston Villa preparing Stop a twenty-seven it. million pound bid for Stop it! How insulting was that? Ah, look, I I really don't have any issue with it. I genuinely don't. I think Villa were maybe chancing their arm a little bit, uh, but I think it's probably a bit of a. It should be a wake-up call, to be honest, to the people running this football club, because I I really think that. We've spent so long looking up at where we need to be. We've stopped looking around to see where we are and to see what some of the teams around us are doing. And that's kind of what we have to compete with. We've got to get back to where we want to get back to in the top four, in the Champions League and everything else. But it's not simply a case anymore of, well, you've got to be better than Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, United, you know, uh, other teams that are going to be in that 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 top four, top six area. You've got to look around you at, at some of the other teams. And I think what Villa are trying to do should be um, should be something we take note of. You know what I mean? Like Smith Rowe's... Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the thing I'd say about the bid and the way they're doing their business is it's just, it shows or it screams ambition. And Leicester have obviously been like that for a couple of years now. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if Everton were similar, although they've obviously had a bit of a setback losing their manager. 
there is yeah there is something very ambitious about it and i think we look at we do you're right we look up and we look at where we were and where we want to be and the teams that are occupying those places but i think if we were leicester and aston villa fans and west ham just had a good i think we'd be looking at arsenal and tottenham and saying well we can we can sort of overtake them there's no reason we can't there's no reason we can't finish above them again and again yeah. and again is um, let me let me throw something back yeah. at you though is if Villa bidding for um, Smith Rowe is ambitious, is Arsenal bidding for James Madison not also ambitious? You know what <laughs> I, I mean? <laughs> I know the, yeah, I'm, I think, I mean, if we were to bid 70 million for James Madison, I think it's a different thing. And I, I mean, it, it's, it sounds really arrogant, right, to say that we're, we're still bigger than Leicester and, and Aston Villa are tiny compared to us. And, and I guess fans of those clubs wouldn't, wouldn't agree or wouldn't appreciate it if we said that um, but I, I do still I don't know I think there's something different I think there's a there's a draw I think Leicester can finish above us for as many years as they like you know, within reason and there would still be a draw um, mm. for, for a lot of their players you know you get linked with Arsenal and you, you saw it with Liverpool when they were maybe having a few bad years they could still attract big players and, and bigger names sure. maybe than they deserved at the time and I think that that history and that wealth of of success down the years it it does mean something mm. still um and the yeah i'd say the potential of of arsenal is still so much bigger and greater than the potential of leicester and i don't think i, don't, I really hope that's not true i don't think it's true of aston villa but who knows because nobody 15 years ago would have said that man city you know had yeah. any chance of winning titles and being in champions league finals yeah 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 look look i the other thing to take away from it is that smith rowe's got 2 years left on his contract we're we've had such a poor season that uh you know i when i say a club like villa i don't mean it in any disrespectful way at all i just mean another sort of upper mid table club feels emboldened to come along and make a bid for one of our brightest talents one of the jewels in the academy crown and that is something that should make the owners, the executives, the manager, everybody sit up and take notice. Like I'm not sure I'm I'm they're not blind to where we are. They're not blind to the to the to the weight of public opinion about where we are and everything like that. But but stuff like this does say something about your own stature or, you know, how diminished um, you might yeah. appear to be to to other clubs. Like I don't blame Villa for bidding twenty five million for a twenty year old who's only made twenty two Premier League appearances. You know, I, I don't really have any issue with that. Arsenal have rejected the bid, and that's fine. Why not chance your arm? You never fucking know in football. I don't think football clubs make bids for players just to troll their the opposition fans <laughs> or to troll an entire football club. It doesn't work like that, you only, know? Only apparently when they add a pound on the Yeah, end. exactly. They haven't even done the pound thing, so they're not taking the piss. But, you know, two years left on Smith Rowe's contract. I don't think it's a coincidence that this week we've heard about interest in him from Aston Villa, reportedly from Real Madrid. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but, you know, he's in negotiations or there are contract talks going on. I mean, it, this really should be uh, a pretty fucking simple thing to sort out, shouldn't it? 
a 20-year-old who's grown yeah, up at the club. You know, he's got two years left on his deal. We want him to stay. We want to make a team in which he is going to be an integral part. He's made a huge contribution. I get that the agent is going to want to get the best deal possible for his client, and, and these things go around the houses a little bit. But, like, if we can't get this done, it should be an, it should take, like, an hour to sit down with Smith Rowe and his agent and get this sorted. Yeah, that's- that's probably my biggest concern with this story. Is, or concern is maybe a bit much, but the biggest question that I have is just, yeah, how hard can it be to convince a Smith Rowe and yeah. and give him, you know, and find agreeable terms? Obviously, if the agent is demanding something completely insane, then it's going to hold things up a bit. But he's proven himself for half a season, and it's only half a season, but he's proven how important he can be and is to, to the club. He's also, for that half a season, maybe shaken off any doubt for long-term fitness. Mm. And he's, you know, he's been at the club for, I don't even know how many years he's been at the club. He's grown up there. Mm. I, You do have to wonder, like, how hard can it be, seriously, to get this one done? And as you say, you'd sit down and an hour later, he should be walking out the room with a, yeah. a 15 year contract signed. <laughs> Just the 15 Was it eight, years. Eight years that Fabregas signed back yeah, then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, you know, five, six years, whatever it is. Um, it, it shouldn't be hard to get this one done. And there's obviously a lot going on this summer, but maybe that bid from Villa gives them a bit mm. of a kick up the backside to sort that out quickly now as well. Fingers crossed. Just one more thing that they have to sort out in this long, hot summer that lies ahead. But look, great to talk to you about all those things, Lewis. Enjoy the uh, Euros and we'll catch up soon. Thank you, Andrew. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much indeed to Lewis. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. And uh, since we recorded that, there was a very entertaining game between Ukraine and North Macedonia, which ended Ukraine 2, North Macedonia 1. Uh, but it was good fun all the same. Uh, right, that's just about it. Because, look, it is uh, off-season. There's not much to chat about. We've done all the chat in the podcast itself. If you want something a little bit extra, you can find a new episode of the podcast Statements 
for our Patreon members. That is where I have a guest, and they have to either strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree with statements that I put to them, suggested by our listeners. You can find that right now at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. My guest is Ryan Hun, who is the co-host of the Stadio podcast, and we talk about things like Arsenal DNA, giving contracts to players over 30, William Saliba, and lots more. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Right. James and I will be here, I think, on Monday. I'm not quite sure what's going on. There might be some upheaval is not quite the right word, but the Arsecast Extra schedule might be a little bit uh, higgledy-piggledy, I think is the right way of putting it, uh, for a few weeks. But I will give you more information as and when I have that. But we will have an Arsecast Extra for you uh, Monday, Sunday, soon, soon, very soon. Don't worry about it. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. Enjoy the football, and we will talk to you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Spend some fucking money, spend some fucking money, spend some fucking money, not quite that much money, not on him anyway, spend a little bit less money, make your money go further, think about the economies of scale, spend as much money as you think is reasonable given the financial circumstances the club finds itself in in this post-COVID world, spend exactly the amount of money that I think a player is worth and not a penny more, spend much less money on him and much more on the other player I like better. Spend whatever it takes to get a deal done as long as it's a good deal, but don't spend too much on agents' fees. Three months later. What a waste of money. What a waste of money. What a waste of money. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.